All right, guys, I'm really excited because I have a great new startup that I got to meet with that I am happy to share with you guys today. And um, the startup uh, is called Pull Up a Seat, and it's at pullupaseatapp.com. And what it does is it's a marketplace where people um, who are cooks, who cook home-cooked food, can sell it and find customers to people who are missing that experience. And so the reason that we met is uh, for marketing and to generate some ideas. Um, and also, I was just really eager to hear about the business. Uh, so the first, I'll tell you why, in order to explain why I'm excited by this idea, um, I want to explain some of the thoughts running through my head as they describe their mission to me. And so the first thing I thought of when they told me about this idea was something called the skills gap. And the skills gap is a term used in the media and by economists uh, referring to the fact that wages for people who are undereducated, let's say high school or lower, are stagnating, whereas wages for people who are educated in certain fields, technical fields, STEM fields, uh, continue to go up. And the disparity is pretty large and it's growing. And it's called the skills gap, and there it is a problem because retraining people is not easy. It takes time. It takes money. You have to to retrain as an adult. You essentially, in some ways, you have to put your life on hold. So it can be very difficult. And this is a problem that not everybody has an answer for. Um, you know, people are calling for corporations to um, create training programs, bringing back apprenticeship and journeymanship, which were things used, I guess, in the guild system in the Middle Ages, where you train the next generation of workers on the job. Um, and then there's other things. A lot of other people advocate vocational training, um, magnet programs, varieties of magnet programs so that people who aren't college bound can still gain a skill while they're in school before they hit the workforce. Um, another thing that makes this problem difficult to address is that the largest source of new jobs is the service sector. And within the service sector, um, the largest sector is retail and hospitality. And so if you're constantly working in that sector, it can be hard to gain the skills that make you employable or promotable in some of the new high-tech, high-knowledge industry type jobs. So it is something we need to figure out as a nation. Um, another reason thing I was thinking about as I was thinking about this job is, or I'm sorry, this app, is the demographic crunch. And the demographic crunch or demographic crisis refers to the fact that we're living longer than ever. Fortunately, medical technology is getting better. I've heard crazy stats that every day, new medical advances add four, four hours to your life. Um, and so, uh, and that's probably, you know, it's very possible that that'll just continue to go up. That number will go up. So, um, and that's great. But obviously, just because you are living doesn't mean you're drawing a paycheck. Doesn't mean you're working. Doesn't mean you're keeping your skills sharp. And, you know, biologically, we can't expect that of everyone at all stages of their life. So um, that leaves us, obviously, entitlements are the fastest growing part of the budget, I'm sure. I know they're the largest part of the budget between Social Security and Medicare. Um, and it's something that because we have part of the reason it's called a demographic crisis, we're not creating 
because our replacement level, our birth is at replacement level. So we're not creating the same amount of new workers that we used to in the past. And that means we're not creating as many new taxpayers all the time. The United States is in a little bit of a better position on that topic because we um, we allow immigration. We allow or we allow immigration more than many nations. I've seen surveys. There's um, an international agency that ranks us like 13 for most open immigration across all the nations in the world. So we're pretty good on that. But um, we still have we still have problems taking. We're going to have problems taking care of the elderly and paying out all the benefits. So are other countries. And so I'm going to get to why this, uh, why I think of this when I think of this business idea, if it's not obvious already. Another thing that was running through my head as I was told about the idea, um, I met with the COO of the company Vivek, uh, who filled me in on all of the details. But um, something running through my head was a blog post I read uh, in about probably 2012, and that was, you know, we were just then fully coming out of the housing crisis. And what the blog post was about, actually, it's probably earlier than that, but what it was about was, you know, previous to the housing crisis, the biggest recession in recent memory was the recession in the early 80s. I think it was in 1982. And what this author said, and there were high levels of unemployment, and he was coming out of the college and going to the workforce right at the start of that recession. And what he said was, um, the things we'll need to do to survive during the housing crisis are the same things that they had to do then, just more of it. And he gave the example of um, someone in his parents' neighborhood uh, turned their house into a movie theater. And they charged people $1.50 to come watch movies on a projector in his garage, something like that. And he also pointed out that um, Japanese people in Japan, it's very common for retirees to run these little businesses in the downstairs of their apartment buildings. And I'll do one better. Um, I have a friend that just returned from being stationed overseas in Okinawa and for three years. And I asked him what his favorite thing to do in Japan was. And he said he had a favorite restaurant slash bar that he would go to every night and he would watch TV and, and eat dinner and drink there. And he said, but it was really interesting. The restaurant was actually these people's house. They made a, a restaurant out of their house. And they were drinking, um, you know, they serve you and, you and you get to hang out with them and you feel like your family because it is their family. He says that you're dining in their living room. And so immediately I was thinking of all these things when they told me about pull up a seat. And the reason, if it's not obvious yet, is I think anything that provides Americans um, who either are choosing to work at home or work less or who are having trouble transitioning in the workforce to use a skill they already have, like cooking, in order to make more money on the side, I think that's awesome. And we can all think of um, types of people that this could help. Maybe it's a homemaker who would like to um, make more money by cooking food for others. Another big segment we thought of, um, you know, ethnic food a big customer base. It might be students who want home-cooked food and they can't get it where they're at. So um, immediately, before I get into too many of those, they wanted to know what I thought about how we could market it. And I first wanted to know, do, they, do you have data on the types of customers that you have that are using this, the app the most? And they said ethnic food. And so I said, okay, great. Um, uh, well, actually, I didn't say, I didn't immediately have ideas. The first idea I had was for, let's say that they find that vegan food is doing really well. Well, there are tons of vegan food Facebook groups, 
with thousands and thousands of people that you could post in. On the Facebook group idea, another thing they could do is, so they're operating in Orlando and I think in Missouri, believe it or not, they could find, I know most towns have one, our town has one, but there's a group that's usually called something like Gainesville Community Events or Orlando Community Events. And maybe you could post in there, Orlando New Businesses, Orlando Businesses, etc. And that's, you know, that's something. Um, now, there's a problem with online marketing these days, or there's a challenge, which is that everything is consolidated. Two channels are taking up 85% of the growth in online marketing, and that's Google and Facebook. So Google and Facebook, I saw a presentation beginning of the year, they control 50% of all dollars spent in online marketing, but they control 85% of the growth. And so the other thing is Facebook... People spend far more time on Facebook than any other social media outlet. It has the most users and people spend the most time on it. So, and indeed, a lot of startups, their main method of user acquisition is Facebook advertising. So we talked about how, you know, Facebook advertising is probably going to be big for this and any startup for the foreseeable future. Um... Google's better for when people already know what they're looking for. This is a new product category, a new market. So you're going to want to reach them on Facebook to educate them, to show them, explain to them what this product is. So the next thing I talked about was how for Facebook marketing and for any advertising these days, rather, um, you're going to want to do a lot of A-B testing. And A-B testing is where you have um, two different advertising creatives or um, basically designs of the ad. But really, you want to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H because it always seems like it's the one you never expect that is the one that does well. Um, I'll give you a story uh, how this apl- uh, how I witnessed this. Uh, there's a friend of mine who was starting a dating ideas app. And the app simply suggested to you different types of ideas for dating within your community. And so he wanted to test out his concept by buying Facebook ads and see how much interest there was. And so... He asked me for advice and I gave him, you know, the advice that quickly came to mind or comes to mind now at least is just general broad advice. People like to see other people in ads and specifically they like to see faces. You have a whole center of your brain that is good um, at noticing faces out of your surroundings. And um, so he wrote me back and this is where it gets weird or it gets funny at least, unpredictable. Um, He wrote me back and he said, Anthony, I did a lot of different ads. And it's weird because the one that did the best has no faces in it. And I was really surprised. And so I was like, immediately my reaction was like, wait a minute, let me see what's going on. So I was like, send me the ads. So he sent me the ads and I took a look. And the ad that did the best, sure enough, it was a pad of paper and it had a pen next to it. And what it said, what it was written on it was like a to-do list. And the to-do list was like, ask a girl out. Um, get flowers and then step three check dating idea app for date ideas and I was looking at it I was looking at it I couldn't figure out why did this ad it was so boring not much color nothing popped why was this ad doing the best and then I realized it did have a face underneath the last to-do list item was a giant smiley face And so anyway, I'm not telling you that the best ad is always going to have faces, but I thought it was interesting. 
And it goes to show it's hard to predict which ad is going to do the best. So that's one little piece of advice for advertising. And so since we were talking about different types of ads that they need to do, we next started coming up with different demographics. So we already talked about vegans. My next thought was, what about people with, oh, and by the way, vegans are good because um, I don't know too much about vegan eating, but I imagine it's kind of hard to um, eat vegan all the time, or at least if you don't have those skills, maybe you don't know how to cook vegan, and it would be nice to have somebody around you that knows how to cook it at least better than you. Um, Obviously, that led me right into health food. There are so many people who... Um, are having success with a given diet and they become obsessive about eating just that type of diet. And maybe they either don't have the patience to um, cook it themselves, they don't have the time, or they just want to treat themselves and they want to have that steady supply. So these health food type of people, maybe that becomes a great source of clients who are sticky, who continue to continue to use the app. Um, obviously, Um, Another big group was ethnic food, and I think that's obvious. So you can do ads around ethnic food. And um, we were then thinking, um, so it's not enough, though, just to have ads. Ideally, ideally, when you start a startup, you want it to be something that people tell their friends about. So when the startups that grow the fastest have that word of mouth, Facebook they were not having to buy ads in the early days for themselves. And I don't even know if they buy ads outside of Facebook for themselves now because everybody was telling their friends about it. And so it would be really nice if you could get that going on with the app. But even more so, um, I'm noticing this new trend, which is that everything is becoming commoditized particularly in software and commoditization just means interchangeable it's interchangeable with something else and I'll give you an example Um, as soon as snapchat adds a new feature to their product Instagram copies it and then it comes to Facebook later too there's nothing that one software company knows how to do that another software company doesn't know how to do knowledge due to the internet is very easily dispersed and it's very easily reproduced they can just go hire somebody who knows how to do image filters and they create their own. But what does seem to have impact is something that's talked about a lot by economists and business circles called network effects. And network effects is when people use your software because they have to. It's because other people do. So a perfect example, you have to use Facebook and be on it because all your friends are on it. So if you want to reach them or talk to them on Messenger, etc., you need to be on Facebook. Um, it incentivizes you to do so. And that is just one example. That is hard to reproduce, okay, by the way. That is not commoditizable. So in order for me to have as many fans as Facebook, I have to somehow become as popular as Facebook. That is impossible. There's, I've heard it said that we won't see another Facebook-sized play for some time. Two billion people use Facebook. It's hard to think of a product other than maybe the smartphone, and that's debatable because in a lot of these countries, they're, they're, their phones are kind of like, um, they're called feature phones. So anyway, Facebook is one of the biggest products in recent memory, and it's because of these network effects, and they're hard to reproduce. But the reason I'm talking about it is that it's an example of a self-reinforcing cycle or positive reinforcement. Um, another word they use is virtuous cycle. It's What I'm trying to describe is more people use the app, so that gets more people to use it. And why is this important? There's gotta be some way 
it, it, for pull up a seat to be the most successful, it can't just be, um, you know, one guy. It, it's good if it is, but, but if one guy goes out each night to get food just for himself, it won't be as successful if you're buying food for you and your friends and then your, your friends get to hear about it. So, and if and hopefully they install the app. And so something we thought about is, um, group or Vivek thought of this actually, based on what we were talking about group buying. So there needs to be a way to split the bill within the app. And there's other benefits to that too. But if nothing else, there's going to be this side benefit that when you tell your friends, Hey, let's split the bill and you do it within the app instead of Venmo. Hey, hopefully now they have an ins- a new app install on that friend's phone and they have his credit card information now. Um, and so another thing um, that I was thinking of is date night. So you could have an ad around date night and incentivizing. Um, hey, the idea is, hey, you can't cook? Got a hot date? Don't worry, we can take care of the cooking. And another excuse to show the app to other people. And these are just things, um, you know, there's people that purport, they call themselves growth hackers and they purport to have, well, I haven't really met one of them, but the idea is that these are the people that know how to hack marketing and hack the growth of a company. And I haven't really met anyone worthy of the claim. Um, there's, uh, you know, the one example I can remember of growth hacking is when Hotmail existed, Hotmail would put at the end of every user's email, get your own free Hotmail address. And that is known as like the classic example of growth hacking. Because with every new user, you had a chance to get another user. Um, But you know what? I guarantee you, Hotmail was paying for users too. I promise you, I have no doubt that they had TV commercials, they had some other form of advertising, um, or they were incorporating users from some other service Microsoft had, Who knows? But that was not their only form of marketing. So I do think growth hacking is a little bit overrated, or at the least, if somebody knows how to make new users out of thin air, they don't need your money. They're going to be very hard to find because they're going to have all the options in the world, and they're probably going to be sitting on a beach somewhere. So that's kind of my, um, I might be being a little bit too judgmental here, but that's how I feel when I hear, you know, about magic marketing. Um, and they're gonna say, oh, it's a process. I need to meet one, and I still won't even believe they got results until I see the results for myself. Um, but that's just me. Um, and so another thing to think about, or at least we touched on during our conversation about marketing is uh, retention is very important. So you can get all the new users in the world, but if they don't come back or they stop using the app or they don't recommend it to others, you're in trouble. So my first thought was, or my first danger I thought of here was, you know, what about if they see the food and the food is not as advertised, it is not good. How is the company gonna address that? And Vivek said, um, they're just gonna give them a 100% money back. And I think that's great. That is the right way to treat it. And what Vivek said is, we don't want them having their first experience with the app be horrible or any experience with the app be horrible. So um, that's their company policy. So I want you guys to know that. Um, The other thing is, you know, in a perfect world, I could tell you how to get all the new users you want for free. And that's to do what Uber does and just say your first meal is free. And Uber does this, you know, they give you those coupons. 
Um, and maybe if you get a friend to sign up, you know, your meal's free or um, give this out and, and all new users their first meal. Maybe it's a $5 value. I don't know. Um, you know, that's something that they're going to have to discuss. Obviously, the more funding they get, the better. And when they're an early stage startup, they're trying to create a story that appeals to investors to get them more financing so they can grow the business, so they can survive, so they can find that product market fit, that niche where they're really executing. They're getting great satisfaction scores. They're getting great growth. Um, people are recommending it to their friends. Um, and in an ideal world, you could give people that. One of the things Vivek was saying too is, um, you know, maybe it costs a dollar. So they get some buy-in and that, that makes it so that you are incentivized to put your credit card information in. That way, the next time you come back, it's already in there and you're not going to cancel because you forgot to put it in there. Um, so I think that's a great idea. But um, I guess, guys, um, that's basically everything we talked about with pull up a seat. Oh, Vivek, there was one more thing I thought that might in, in, um, incentivize kind of uh, recommending it to friends, multiple people installing it, group buying. And that's, uh, it came out of vegan um, activities. So I've been to a lot of events in Gainesville that are basically vegan potlucks. And maybe it's different for other towns. But what I thought is, maybe you find that potlucks um, are something that fits this app. Maybe uh, it's a different form of a potluck. It's like a host wants to cook this awesome meal for everyone. And so... Um, everyone can chip in money on the app to the host. Um, you know, the host creates a listing. He links it to his friends on Facebook, and that's how they can chip in for the meal. Um, maybe eventually you find that it's functionality to just put in what everybody is bringing. I don't know. But um, the idea is you're getting more people to use the app. Uh, but anyway... The reasons I'm passionate about this app, you know, I don't know if this is the next billion dollar opportunity, but I do think that if all this app does is gives a retiree some way to make a little bit extra money by using their cooking skills to cook for others, I think that's wonderful. If it helps a mom who um, is maybe a stay-at-home mom or a single mom, multiple children or, or whatever, if it helps her just subsidize the cost of some of cook, paying for food for her family. In other words, the money, extra money she makes from cooking for others, she gets to put back into food for her family. That would be wonderful. And I even thought, you know, on the topic of ethnic food, um, this is a little cheesy, but I just saw the War of the Apes movie. And those movies are a lot about um, when you don't understand something, you, you're suspicious of it. And so there are a lot about prejudice. And so I'm thinking that who knows if maybe Vivek, you should put event functionality into this app. But um, the idea is instead of just coming by somebody's house to get food, maybe you come by to get authentic Indian food and you stay to watch an Indian movie or you have a conversation around the table about that culture or you witness a presentation. Um, maybe that can be part of the fee, you know, um, you're paying extra to have all those other things. Maybe it's just a conversation around the dinner table to learn about what those people are doing. Maybe it's just your, your neighborhood Everybody in your neighborhood puts on dinner for others at once. And if it helps people, you know, that are trying to up their skills, but maybe they don't know how, if it helps them make ends meet, I think that's fantastic. One last thing I want to mention um, about this startup and this in space is that, you know, food delivery and food subscription startups have been going through the roof. 
There are so many companies based around food delivery and food subscription, but in my experience, or at least when I've looked at the prices, they're fairly expensive. I don't want to say that they're, you know, cost double necessarily of what the food would cost to make at home, but it's expensive. And I think part of that is probably the shipping. You know, Amazon, um, I've seen one chart that shows that Amazon's shipping costs increased 50% in one year. Um, shipping is not cheap. And so this app, you know, by going to pick it up yourself, that's sort of, it doesn't really eliminate the shipping costs, but it does sort of take it out of the visible price. So I think that that could help customers. Um, also, it's not subscription. So the, the floor to entry, you know, the price floor, in other words, you're not signing up for 10 meals. You're signing up for just tonight. Um, that could make it more, more people might be willing to try this type of startup. And, um, the other thing is, uh, you know, if it's convenient, one of the things Vivek said is that uh, they're doing great on getting new families or new new cooks into the service. Um, and that get what because what they're going for is geographic coverage because they don't want you to have to go far to get the food. Um, another great thing I heard is one of the demographics they've seen is there are people out there who are like wonderful cooks, like amazing trained chefs, and they don't get to use their skills very much. And so you could be, I mean, the person that you're signing up with to eat on this, on this app, they could be a five-star chef, you know, they could be trained, they could be incredible, it could be one of the best meals you've ever had. Another thing I really like is um, they inspect all of the homes that they, uh, that are, that are available in the app. And there's a process that these, these chefs have to go through. Um, and so that helps ensure quality and there's a rating system. So you're going to be able to rate all of the, the cooks that you frequent. So anyway, I think it's a really great app. Um, I'm excited about it. I like that this company, I don't, necessarily just think it's a way to make money. I think that it could be doing really great things that we talked about as far as opportunity um, for people to make money and also um, just ways for people to expand their horizons. Try new food. You know, one of the concepts I thought of was like discover a universe of food. There's, you know, if you're bored with the restaurants in your town, open up this app. That's These are all different ad creative you could do. Um, maybe they become the, the mission, but... Um, yeah, so I really loved hearing about this. I thought it was exciting. Hope you guys did too. And, uh, you know, I want to be back with you guys um, soon. So thanks for listening. And I really appreciate it. And I'm going to keep doing these as I find the time. So thanks a lot, guys. Bye.